Hello, everybody. In this episode of the Well-Rounded Wealth Podcast, we talk to Vaughn Hall. Vaughn is an aspiring blacksmith who has experienced some incredible moments, met several unique people, and gained great insight and perspective in his journey of becoming who he is today. We are excited for Vaughn to share his, if you want to know, you must go, mentality and philosophy, and so much more. We hope you enjoy. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to the Well-Rounded Wealth Podcast. We are on episode number 23, and we have a special guest this episode. We knew him back in high school. I was always a great guy, brought a bunch of energy, and uh, welcome, Vaughn Hall. How are you Vaughn doing? Vaughn Hall! Hey, guys. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Greetings. Hi, Vaughn. Hi. Um, so real quickly... Um, Vaughn, we kind of reconnected through our social media on Well-Rounded Wealth. Uh, we started posting some right. reels in like, I, like August that time, September time. Um, and you were kind of responding to the reels and like DM the account and we DM'd you back. Um, and we were just kind of reconnecting a little bit. Um, so we thought it would be really cool to have you on just based on your experiences, your kind of unique path of where you've been in the last four years since we knew you in high school. Um, so honestly, from your perspective, what drew you to us? Like what made you want to reach out to us? I'm curious. Well, I mean, obviously I, I liked a lot of what you guys were saying and I mean, it was popping up in my feet, you know, like I was like, you know, just scrolling through the reels and I'd like, Oh, I know these guys, you know, um, <laughs> That's wild. but, uh, uh, really it's, it comes down to you guys taking a chance and trying to, um, uh, do something that's a, that's a little bit outside the ordinary and taking a chance on yourselves and saying, you know, Hey, why not? You know, why not me? Why can't I do this? And, um, I thought that was pretty inspirational. And so as someone who's, you know, tried to go off the beaten path a little bit and do my own thing, I, um, I always like it when people, you know, encourage me and say, Oh, wow. Like, you know, he's, he's trying something different. He's trying something new. And to see you guys do that was so um inspirational motivational and like i just it just i don't know i wanted to support because it was cool to see so yeah that's awesome man i guess why don't we do this real quick why don't you give us a quick minute spiel of where you went from high school to uh where you are now and kind of give people a little background about you yeah because we knew you in high school so yeah roughly what's happened since like we last saw each other senior year of high school so um, I went to Clemson right after high school. Um, that didn't really work out too well for me. Uh, COVID happened and online classes are not my thing. Um, and so I kind of switched some things up and I was like, really, you know, I think everybody had, you know, a lot of time during COVID to think, you know, okay, what am I really doing with my life? Like what, you know, you have a lot of time to yourself and things kind of slowed down. So, you, you know, you look around and I didn't know what I was going to do. So and I hated being cooped up. So, um, I worked a little bit, saved a bunch and bought a, a Harley and then just like went across the country, um, and learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about what I want to do with my life. And, you know, not everything, but definitely eye opening on certain, certain things. And, um, so I, I eventually through, uh, a bunch of a, a bunch of uh, trial and errors with different things. I found blacksmithing and uh, fell in love with it, and I've just been you know putting my heart and soul into it ever since then. So um, now I'm like three years into that. 
um, about two and a half now. Um, and it's been one of the best decisions I've, I've made in my life. It's almost like a, uh, um, like a calling in a way, yeah, you know, that's incredible. And uh, yeah, lots unpacked there, but I, I want to get into what made this idea come to fruition with, all right, I'm going home, I'm saving and I'm buying a Harley and driving across the U S. How, yeah, how I, I don't know anyone our age that's done that. We, we, this is not something we could just gloss over. Was it, was it a movie? Did you see that like end cutscene or like, <laughs> I'm going to be that guy. Uh, so I was going through a lot of like personal stuff at the time. Um, like right after I kind of, you know, decided that I wasn't going to go back to Clemson and um, I needed to kind of restructure certain things in my life. And um, I'd kind of gotten away from certain friends that I didn't really think were best for me. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of lost in a lot of ways, like just alone, like, and I got really into um, like self-improvement and like listening into to different um, just people that I admire. And uh, one of the guys is his name is uh, his name's Henry Rollins. Um, He's a, he was one of the lead singers to a band that I really like. Okay. Um, and then he started his own band in the nineties and I've actually seen him do like speaking, uh, like one of his spe- talks on like his speaking tour. Cause he's done that for a long time. Um, I got to see him in Charlotte, but, uh, not over the time, but I saw, I was watching this video on YouTube and he was talking about his travels throughout, you know, his life. And he had this motto. He said, if you want to know, you've got to go. Right. Mm. And he would do things like take a backpack and fly to some random country because he's been to like over 100 countries and then just get off the plane and just start walking. No plan, nothing. Just like, all right, I'm just going to, you know, hop in a taxi and just say, I want five, five minutes that way, please (laughs) get out, start walking. And just, you know, live there for three weeks and then, you know, fly home. And, you know, he had the financial means to do that. But even still, you know, he was, I mean, the more messed up a country, you know, the, the more he wanted to go and everything. And um, during 2020, that was during the height of the election. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I've always been interested in pod, uh, not, uh, politics. Um, yeah, Vaughn hates podcasts. And, uh, <laughs> huh? I just said Vaughn hates podcasts completely. <laughs> no, I love podcasts. Um, anyway, so I, I was like, all right, well, I want to go see America during the 2020 election, you know? And, um, and then also there was some things I was, you know, reading and also listening to about like this idea of like a rite of passage Mm -hmm. and how we don't really have that in, in, um, uh, our society, you know, the idea of like a young man or woman kind of goes out into the, the forest and has to fend for himself for a little bit. And then once he fights off the wolves and, you know, survives for a month or no, whatever, he's welcomed back into the society as a man, you know? And, so there was also something kind of romantic about that too that I was thinking about um, with it, but uh, I don't know. I kind of just I wanted to do something that I didn't know that I could do, but proved to myself that I could do it. And I, you know, and a lot of people have done various versions of that. You know, like some people, you know, uh, like yourself, do some crazy, uh, like Patrick. You know, I'm gonna go do some wild. Uh, <laughs> 
physical feet, you know, like, like that, maybe that was like your kind of version of it. I don't know. I can't speak for you, but, um, yeah, it was something along those lines. So. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask some logistics about this. So like one, like, what was your track? What States did you hit? And like, how did you, what, did you sleep at hotels, parks? I'm, I'm just curious what the logistics were of your trip. So I, I, so I bought a, uh, two, 2016 Harley Davidson Softail Deluxe, okay. which is not the biggest one, but it's a pretty big bike. I mean, it's 800 pounds. Oh, it's got a, you know, 1600 CC engine. Like it's, it's a big bike. Um, and I basically just loaded that thing up with camping stuff and I just hit the highway and just stopped from state park to state park to national park to state park and just zigzag my way off of, um, you know, through every state south of the Mason-Dixon line. Because I went in November, you know, November <laughs> and December. So I, wasn't, I wasn't going that high. The highest I got was Moab, and that was freezing. Oh, that, that's um, cool. But, uh, yeah, I just, I was about, like, I spent about $50 a day. That was my budget um, that I had saved. And, you know, there was a lot of tuna and protein bars and, you know, I wasn't there to, sounds to, like my daily to, life now, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, uh, but that was including, you know, my place to stay. I had to figure out a place to stay, eat and, you know, uh, get gas all for, you know, $50 a day. Right. And that's kind of how I did it the whole way. And, I usually stopped at like a really cheap, crappy motel, like every four days, mm-hmm. five days, and showered and got a good night's sleep. But yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was roughnecking it for sure. How <laughs> no long bad. was the whole trip? Uh, it was a little over a month and a half. About it was about a month and a half. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow, so did you get all the way sick. to the West Coast? Yeah, I got. Well, I got all the way to Death Valley, California. Okay. Um, but everyone, like by that time. Um, it was interesting seeing like how COVID had affected different parts of the country and different rates, you know, because mm-hmm. when I was in the East Coast at that time in November, like, you know, we were at the height, like everybody had, everybody knew somebody who had gotten it and it was like, everybody was locked down, like it was serious. But by the time I got to, you know, and I was in Arkansas, Kansas, you know, or actually I didn't go to Kansas, but uh, Colorado, you know, like Texas, like these places are so spread out and they're in the middle of the country that, you know, they were still, it was still, you know, our version of February, you know, like, Oh, there's this virus. Like, I don't think it's real, all this other stuff. Like, um, uh, but anyways, um, when I got to, to California, uh, every, it had really started to hit that place big yeah. time and everyone was mass exiting the state. So as I was going to California, I was just seeing like, blocked highways the whole way like back roads blocked everything blocked coming to going to the direction i just came from it's kind of wild and i was thinking to myself <laughs> like i got the i got the death valley i was like you know what i made it to california i'll come back and do a california trip another time i don't want to have to you know get stuck or you know deal with stuff from the craziness of that state goes so. on out there <laughs> yeah exactly it's not it's not america <laughs> yeah Different yeah no that's probably a wise decision i've been to death valley actually um i did an rv trip when i was 16 years old um Sweet. yeah with my uncle and a couple of my cousins and then my mom and sister we were out there periodically because it was like a whole like four-week trip we each could only do like a couple weeks 
But we, yeah, we saw Death Valley. We kind of were above the Mason-Dixon line, so it's almost like you and I have each done the different parts of the country. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, it was pretty cool. I would have loved. Uh, I think the biggest difference that like you probably got out of it versus me is one, you're a little older. I was only 16, and two, I was not in charge. You you had that agency mm. to be yeah. making your own decisions. You were driving the bike. You know, I was just a kid in the RV. <laughs> now I wasn't calling it any of the shots. The ride. <laughs> One thing. So going back to Henry Rollins and that quote, if you want to, if you want to know, you have got to go. I, I love that, and it's almost like some version of "fuck around and find out." But I think, yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. with a little bit, with a little right. bit more positive connotation on it, like yeah, you got to go yeah. discover. And I think that with along with your parrot of you have to go kind of discover something for yourself and grow. It's like, you need to give yourself the evidence that you can go and hop a hurdle. So taking mm. that kind of thought away from the trip, how have you incorporated or how have you continued to incorporate that kind of quote into what you do on a daily basis now? Well, um, I think a big part of it is what I've been my, at least my choice to decide to, you know, start doing art, you know, and taking that path of like, you know, my artistic and, you know, creative side. Um, it's always like throughout my life, I always loved making art. I was, you know, a lot of people didn't even know that about me, you know, um, throughout high school, but I mean, I was big into the art, you know, if, if people in the arts classes and in the art, like the visual arts at, Charlotte Catholic knew very well that I was into art. Um, but a lot of people didn't really know that about me, you know? Um, and so it was kind of something that I kind of kept hidden from people and like, well, what, and it was always in the back of my mind, like, what if, what would, what, what would it be like if I decided to, you know, actually go for this? Cause it was always this, um, unpractical, uh, like thought, you know, like, Oh yeah, you can't really do that. Oh, that'd be, that would be nice. Like, you know, to go do that, but no way. And, um, I decided to take the chance and say, you know what, like, like, like exactly like, yeah, fuck around and find out, like, let's see, you know, uh, let's see what I can do. So. Yeah. yeah I, I would definitely say if the two people I'm, I wouldn't say jealous of, but I admire is artist and musician because those type of people just do it for the purity of creating something cool that they can put back out. And I don't, I just don't yeah. think my mind works that way. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a lot more type A, like logical and depends just, on the artist and musician you're talking about. Let's play a little devil's advocate. I think there are who? plenty chasing the fame and glory. Oh, well, yeah. But I mean, like if you get into it, I think, Maybe once you once you fuck around and find out, like, oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> this fame and glory stuff is cool too. But I think a lot of people do like or just have that message they want to get out and can express it in that way. Yeah, I um, I don't want to jump the gun too much, but I one of the biggest things I learned when or during my time in Japan was along those something along yeah, those wait, lines. Back up. Remember, When'd you I, go to Japan? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Uh, my bad. No, you're good. Um, you're good. Uh, so, um, my, at my school, uh, we are required to do a internship, um, like about 270 hours of um, on-the-job work um, in our trade. 
um, before we graduate. So each summer we have to do uh, 270 hours of work. Um, and I sent a Hail Mary DM to uh, this guy in Japan. Um, his name's Yasuki Mori. He's a, uh, a sculptor, a metal sculpt a sculptor. He's also done a lot with glass work. And um, his wife is also an accomplished sculptor and um he's out in kyoto and i just sent him a direct message and say hey like would you be interested in having you know me work for you for you know a summer and I, like i just need a place to stay and food to eat and that's that's it you know i'll, I'll work i don't need to get paid you know and um and you know we talked for a little bit at first i think he was like yeah sure yeah you'll come here for sure yeah like mm -hmm. no way you know like that's his, that was his idea like i think he was happy to have me but he didn't think that i think a lot of westerners you know talk a lot about oh yeah let me come to japan and work for you and they never show up so <laughs> um but after a while of me you know continuously talking to him over a span of months finally i got the okay from him and i talked to uh, my school and my school um, f uh, found a scholarship for me uh, to pay for my plane ticket, which was absolutely amazing. Um, and yeah, and I, I made it all the way to to Japan. Dude, <laughs> so yeah, that's incredible. Um, for <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, so yeah, what did you learn? <laughs> Japanese blacksmithing. <laughs> yeah, what? So wow, you've had some like. You've had a couple cool apprenticeships here. You, you yeah, and, uh, you there's another guy that I. Out. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things we talked about, we might talk about, was you know, interesting people, and it's a, I, I have a, a fellow that we'll talk about that I um later, but um, uh, he's a uh, just a guy that I worked for in up in the mountains of Boone. That was probably the most interesting person I've ever met. So I've met, I've had the um the uh the luck to have been able to work for some really really cool people so yeah it sounds like it so i mean going back to japan you were about to tell us a lesson and what yeah. well one i guess just walk us through that whole experience why you were actually there the culture behind the people and then what were some of the lessons you took away from it because i mean i know there are a lot of mirroring thoughts between the japanese and u.s culture in terms of how they work and stuff, but I'm sure it's very different on the more metalworking art side. Sure. Um, so there's a lot of really interesting things about uh, Japanese work culture that's very different than uh, America. Um, I think we're, you know, we're they're more like us than we are to the Europeans in terms of, you know, we work a lot more, we take work home, you know, all that kind of stuff, like long hours. Uh, things like that, hard work, um, but uh, they're they're one of the most unique cultures that I've ever experienced. I mean, I've been through Europe and stuff. I haven't been through Asia or Africa or you know anywhere else, but um, that, that's a very very unique culture. Um, but uh, one of the reasons that brought me out there was one, I loved the guy's work. I'd seen him on Instagram, and I was like, wow, like this, you know, he. I love his design. I love his. Um, contemporary and refined um mixed with uh you know the grunginess of um blacksmithing you know like the hard you know he really you know makes every piece you know like not it's not cut and fabricated and you know things like that so 
um, uh, there was there was the attraction to his his work, but also my fascination with Japan comes from you know reading things like the Book of Five Rings, you know, by Miyamoto Musashi, you know, and um, the concepts of like uh, ikikai, you know, the, like what can, what you um, what you enjoy what you can be paid for, what the world needs. And, uh, there's one more, um, uh, shoot. But anyways, it's just, it, 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 their, their philosophies on, um, finding your place in the world. And then when you find that thing, a chase it with everything that you have kind of thing. Have, have, um, you, have you read the book Ichigo Ichi? No, I haven't. You know, that's on my list of ones to read but it's it's all these japanese philosophies of kind of what you were talking about like what you can put out to the world or what you get into the world the same basically japanese philosophy so uh yeah curious yeah totally it's it's uh it's i was just fascinated with all those things um prosperity peace tranquility um their whole zen mindset um you know it's not there is no work-life balance in Japan. Work is life, you know? Mm. So you better, you know, do something that you can do for your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, I know Yasu and Minami, I mean, they, they work so hard. They, you know, put so much time into their work. And um, they were, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, the Japanese philosophy was, was a huge part of wanting to go there. Do you agree with it based on your experience? Do you think it's a healthy, but maybe not for everyone, for you, did you think that philosophy was a healthy approach to your everyday life? Um, well, see, the thing is, is they, they're in America with blacksmithing. One of the things they had to teach me was to slow down, you know, and, and everything that I, a lot of the stuff I'm learning is like, you got to make money. You know, money is is God in America in a lot of ways, and it's just not that way in Japan. Um, so in that way, it was it was really good because it was more focused on the craft rather than how many can you make, how quickly, and then how does that match your overhead and all that other stuff. You know what I mean? Like, how can you run a business? You know, and, and there, you know, while there is business is important for them, um, it's more about getting it right. And it's more about, you know, the focus on the craft. Um, so... Uh, in that way, I took a ton from it, you know, learning, learning to slow down, learning to make sure that every single little detail is correct. Um, that, that kind of stuff was, was really, um, really influential on me. And then also, you know, they worked long hours. They worked, you know, they didn't work week, they worked weekends. They don't, they don't have a weekend like we do. Um, they don't really take sick days. They don't take vacation. I mean, you know, but at the same time at three o'clock, on, when it was summertime, we went to go get ice cream. Yep. You know, yeah. like that's, that's when we got there, it wasn't, you know, you can take a walk, you know, you can, you know, take smoke break, you know, whatever you want, you know, like they're, they're, while they were constantly working, they took a lot of breaks. They took a lot of, um, uh, time for themselves to learn and, um, or not, uh, to, yeah, well to learn, but also to just kind of, um, decompress and then, get back to work and then not work and get back to work. And, you know, um, as your, uh, your energy kind of ebbs and flows, so does your, your, you know, how, how often you're working. Um, so it's just a different way of life. You know, I think 
Uh, I definitely learned a lot from it. Do I want to emulate it, you know, perfectly? Absolutely not. You know, I'm an American. I grew up in America. There's a lot of things that I learned from a child that I'm, you know, they're just a part of me. Um, but also, I, I mean, getting that experience of, of seeing how different they are um, was incredibly influential. So, yeah, I agree with it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have found that I kind of like working in that way because it's a lot more liberating than having this strict timeline of when you're allowed to work or, or when it's socially acceptable to work mm. versus when you're supposed to rest. Like I work the best early in the morning and then later at night, like not middle of the day, my head's wherever. And same thing with the weekends. Like you just because society tells you that the weekend is traditional time to rest doesn't mean you necessarily have to take that time to rest. And that's just people, other people's thoughts being impressed upon you. Like, I mean, it was probably in the past century that this term, the weekend came up because actually I think it was, um, Ford, Henry Ford. Yeah, uh, that's right. He started giving his employees weekends to improve their, I guess, perception of work, yeah, productivity and week. perception of working for him. So a hundred years ago, a weekend wasn't a thing. People just did what they right. knew to do and what they enjoyed. And it was more when we got into this big capitalist industrial society that that was starting to cre get created. And for some industries, that makes a ton of sense where you have that type of labor to kind of increase that productivity efficiency. But for someone like you, I feel that's like if someone told you, hey, Vaughn, you have to start working on your metal at nine and you can't stop or you have to stop at five. You'd be like, dude, I want to go work on my metal at 12 a.m. in the morning. Like I'm feeling it. Like I want to go create this art or something like that. I mean, that could be. <laughs> Is that what you do at Vaughn, 12 a.m.? <laughs> He's just, uh, he's just, I'm not uh, supposed to use the studio outside of uh, school hours. I see. I see. <laughs> uh, what you described to me, it, it sounded like hard work, but a lack of stress and anxiety compared mm. to what I'm used to. Like, you know, like, yes, so you, you'll be able to take walks or you guys went and got ice cream at 3 p.m. I was like, oh, so, but. Uh, they're still working though they're still working hard and they're doing it every day but they it's almost sound like there was more of a balance of there it didn't sound like there was a lot of stress but it, it did still sound like there's a lot of hard work because of the passion for the craft absolutely yeah i mean we were working hard for sure um they they work incredibly hard um and you know when it's like like i said they don't take you know days off you know like i mean i remember Uyasu was sick one day and you know he he still put the time in, you know, he, he, you know, he wasn't going to miss work, you know, that was important to him and that's important to, to who he is. And so he was, he was going to get his stuff done regardless of how he felt, you know, when you and, um, that was super admirable, at least, you know, for him to see that to see him push through stuff like that. And I, I'm not wired like that. I, you know, I was feeling sick after some sashimi, so I, I took the day <laughs> off, but. <laughs> but I think for them, they were like, oh, my God, he's not coming to work. He's sick. He must be, like, on his deathbed. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I didn't realize – like, that was just a cultural difference. So I didn't I didn't understand, like, oh, like, they um, they just have a different approach to sick days than, 
than I do. Um, but yeah. I'm curious when you say work hard, cause I've sort of found this, do you mean work hard as in hard being the amount of time that you put in per day or per week or the actual work itself? Being productive. Okay. Like continuous hours of productive work. Yes. Like if you're not being productive, why work? Yep. Or like wh why work on a non-productive thing just to seem, just to say that you're working. That's some. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I had an office job for a little bit and you know, so much of my time, sometimes I'd just be sitting there and like, I'd be so bored with what I was doing. And I, you know, I'd realize like, Oh, 15 minutes, I haven't done anything. You know, that could have been that 15 minutes could have been a walk where I kind of cleared my head a little bit and then I get back and then boom, I'm when I'm sitting down at my desk, I'm busting my ass, you know, I'm really like typing away I'm working, you know, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of my idea. It's like if I'm welding something together, I'm not spacing off. I'm not, you know, doing I'm not like I'm focused. I'm very focused. I'm productive. I'm getting this done. I'm figuring out this problem. I'm figuring out how to put this thing together. I'm doing some drafting. I'm, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's kind of what I mean by hard work. Really focused, dialed in. Um, yeah. I love that definition of it. And it's something that is so not evident in our society today because I think people associate hard work with the amount of time that they are spending on whatever they're or, or the amount of time they're spending on where they're supposed to be. But 15 minutes of responding to emails is not as productive as actually working on the most important problem that whether it's a company or, or a project needs your focus and attention on right then and there. Sure. Sure. And, you know, and, and that's a, part of that's my understanding. Like, I'm not speaking a lot of what I'm saying. I'm not speaking for the Japanese culture in any way, shape or form. You know, this is my perception of what certain things I saw. And then also my own understanding of things, you know, based on things I've read. My own. I just want to make that very clear because I, I cannot speak for a whole culture. <laughs> like that. Like, um, Understand that, yeah. listeners. <laughs> yes, the disclaimer please, has please. been clear. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Big disclaimer. Bon Hall's not getting canceled today. Not on our watch. <laughs> well, I just, I, I just have so much respect for that com the complexity of of that that society and culture that like, for for my simple understanding of it to be a blanket statement, it's you know, it's just not it's not accurate. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. I, I so the people in Japan, and this is related to Daiwa Zero. Do you think there are people that were afraid to go experience something else that intrigued them because of that notion that work is life and you should spend most of your time working? Um, I could definitely see how certain people would, would feel that way. I, um, a lot of my time was spent, you know, working. So I didn't really get to meet that many, you know, Japanese people and you know, get into nitty gritty conversations. I mean, for one, they don't really speak English that well. I mean, the vast majority of Japanese people did not speak English, at least to a degree that I could understand and, and get into, you know, a deep conversation about like, 
or hey, are you afraid to go try something? You know, like, um, so I mean, I, there were Food? many days where, please, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. I mean, there were many days where I was the only white person I saw was in the mirror. You know, like I mean, they're a very homogenous society, um, and they don't. I mean, some people speak English, but um, it's it's really more along the lines of like you know, oh, you like this movie, you know, and that's, that's about as deep of the conversations I got with a lot of people. Um, some people had, you know, some people had, that had, um, uh, studied abroad in like Australia or, you know, had spent some time abroad were a little bit better, um, communicating with, in English. Um, but also the people that I was hanging around, um, were all artists and so we're probably a lot more uh, willing to take those chances than the average person. Um, so it's hard for me to say. Uh, I mean, whenever I would like go to like a party or whatnot, it would be you know something with or Yasuki would take me to it, um, and it, it like there, I met you know tattoo artists, which was you know. That's yeah. not a big thing in Japan. They don't, they, you know, so that you was really pushed really? out there, the <laughs> occupation. Um, so I, I, you know, a tattoo artist, uh, a photographer, um, a um, potter, you know, like a clay sculptor. Um, you know, people that were kind of on the, the artistic side of things, painters, you I know. Um, so their, you know, conversations with them might be a little bit skewed more towards them willing to take those chances and be different and, you know, really try and, um, I don't know. I, I, it's just, it's just difficult for me to, to speak on that based on my experience. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. So I kind of want to jump, uh, to your time in Boone, um, where you were training and learning and you said you met the most interesting person you've ever met in your life. Um, <laughs> when, uh, when was this, was this pre or post your experience in Japan? This was post, this was, uh, 2022, gotcha. I think. Um, that's yeah. 2022. Um, yeah. Summer. Uh, I went to go work for a company called Charleston forge, um, Monday through Thursday. Uh, and they do like, 10, 11 hour shifts. And that's how they do their 40 hours or, you know, a little bit plus is like Monday through Thursday, 10 hours to 11 hours a day. And that's a lot of, um, fabrication shops, a lot of metalworking shops. They kind of work on that timeline, um, longer weekend. And then if you want to add, you know, overtime, you come in on Friday or Saturday or whatever. Um, and so, and they were doing all kinds of really cool handmade forged furniture. I learned a ton um, from them, uh, great facility, but it's a, it's a massive facility. I mean, they've got a hundred people working in that factory wow. cranking out, you know, beautiful chairs, but you know, I was working on one section. I was forging out the pieces. Then they would go to the, the welders who would, you know, weld them all together. Then they'd get grinded and sanded and then they'd get painted and then packaged and then shipped. You know, like I was just in the forging side of it. So um, I got to do some cool stuff, but, um, the real reason why I went up there was this guy named John Weiner who did, who did a lot of the design work for that company as like a contractor. Um, this guy is a, uh, you know, 
metal artist, uh, and he's up in Mountain City, Tennessee. Um, he's got, like, I want to say, like, 26 acres on the side of a mountain that he's owned for the last 40, 30, 40 years, something like that. And um, as an artist, he's taken this land for the last 30 years and turned it into basically a paradise. Um, it is one of the coolest places I've ever been in my life. Um, he calls it the, the Laughing Crow Homestead. Is what it, but it, but he's oh, wow. he's got you know it's basically the side of the mountain in Tennessee, um, and he you know has sculpted the land with excavators and different things over the years. He's got this beautiful you know log cabin that goes into the side of the mountain, like it goes like inside, so it's all like heated correctly. You know what I mean? Like uh, he's got a barn and that he does some woodworking in that he also has like a sheep and horses and there's like ponds and he's like taken tr- like trees outside of like diff- on his property and planted them in specific places that he wants. And he's got a garden and he's got, <laughs> he's got, the, he's building a big forge and he's got this, uh, uh, he, his wife is a, um, massage therapist. So he built her a cabin that has a sauna in it with a massage table. And then outside, it's, it's, uh, it goes down to a big koi pond that's surrounded by bamboo. And, (laughs) and apparently, you know, they, they dip in it every morning, you know, do a little cold plunge in the wintertime in their koi pond, you know, I guess probably right after the sauna that, you know, he built, you know what I mean? Like, Dude, this place the guy was awesome. That sounds yeah, insane. It's amazing. It's like every guy's like yeah. paradise. Like, what, like, what, I got horses. I got a cold plunge in a sauna. Like, what do you, what do you want from me? Kind of thing. Grows a lot of his own food, you know, John, I'm sorry if I'm giving away too much information about your paradise. If you're seeing <laughs> Yeah, can we um, can we visit him? Can we? Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah, we should have him on. <laughs> yeah, he's, a, he, he's he's such an interesting character. Um, really, kind of a of a hippie kind of person. He's like sixty five, but he acts like he's you know forty. Um, but a very interesting person. Um, he came from uh, he, he grew up in New York, and then I think when he was eighteen, he just like dropped everything and became a traveling musician and like street performer. And then he, li- and like, you know, traveled throughout the United States, you know, I'm, I'm probably, you know, butchering his story and I'm sorry, John. Um, but, uh, just super, super interesting guy. I mean, he's, uh, he's like, he's traveled the world doing blacksmithing. He's friends with a lot of like Ukrainian and Russian, uh, blacksmiths. And he, he recently just helped, um, these, uh, Ukrainian blacksmiths that he knows, uh, get, take asylum in the U S and, you know, they're out, he, I think if I understand they're out, you know, doing great work out there and, um, uh, in Boone and, um, but yeah, just super, super interesting guy. Um, and he's living the dream. I mean, you know, yeah. making awesome art, you know, forging in his little paradise and that, you know, he built, so. That's what did you cool. learn from him? Heavenly. What would you say are some of the big, like before you met him and had this experience and host experience, what it's in your perspective changed? That's what I learned. It's possible. He's doing it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he, he's doing it and he did it. You know, it's possible. You can, you can, you can do what you love, make cool art and, and, you know, live in paradise. Really. I mean, that's, that's, he's doing it, you know? Um, 
he, he really, really thinks outside the box. And I learned a lot about his creative process and like how he's, he thinks about putting things together. He's, he's also a lot like what I learned about, you know, with the Japanese ways, like, you know, he's really trying to make things right. You know, he, there is no, there are no shortcuts, you know, the, the more crazy and more complex he can go, he's willing to take it there. Um, mm-hmm. His brain is, is, you know, I, I don't know that I could match that kind of uh, <laughs> uh, creativity that he's got, but I mean, who knows in the future, but you know, just, just seeing that he could do it was, was really like a big, big thing for me. Like, wow. Like, you know, I, I, I can do it too. If he can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And so I've kind of had that, that, you know, idea, like I can, um, if I, if I work hard, you know, and I make the right decisions and I, you know, take some risks, I can end up there too. And, you know, it's not that much to ask for really, you know, you know, if you put the time in, you know, get, you know, maybe you get an opportunity, you work hard, you, you know, you get the next opportunity. Next thing you know, you're buying some land and then, you know, the rest is history. Right. Um, yeah. so yeah. So is that, it, it kind of sounds like that's almost a little bit of a, a picture perfect kind of scenario for you to have something that similar to that, have your own land and have maybe a little shop out there and be able to just be in nature and I definitely think yeah. the creative process when you're out in nature or going for a walk, just being outside, your mind just is so much more free. And yeah. it, it's something it's that I think just more people should do. Just like get out and and um, Naval Ravikot, he's a he's a billionaire. He founded this company called AngelList. He has this great uh, philosophy which he calls choiceless awareness. So it's go out go for a walk, even if it's in a city or nature, whatever it is, and look at people, look at things and try not to make an impression or judgment of them. Just recognize Mm -hmm. them for what they are and then just see what thoughts continue to flow from that. And I think that was, that was a cool philosophy because you don't know where, especially if you're talking to people, you don't know where someone's background is or, or where it's come from. Yet we all just, we're started at people and, and like you said, like anyone can and everyone has this potential to do something. So you put your mind to it, put the time in and expand your time horizon long enough and you can get it done. It's funny yeah. you say that, Pat, because I have just started taking daily walks because I work from home. So and honestly, you're right about the mind thing. Uh, I was like losing my mind being cooped up in an apartment every day. I, it, I like my apartment a lot. <laughs> it was still making me lose my mind. It just, it's hard to do. No wonder everyone went crazy in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've been just, I'm in a city, but I've, I'm taking walks around the city and it is legitimately helping so much. Like it's so needed. So you're right. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm going to try that exercise too of observing without having to make developing an impression that's a very interesting exercise that i'm going to start trying yeah great book and uh i, I want to say it's free potentially or there's a good audiobook but it's called the almanac of naval ravikot for any listener or you guys that want to read it um and it, it's a really interesting format where you can kind of listen to it a little bit of a day because 
Tim Ferriss, he's the guy who wrote the four hour work week and all that. He took Naval's tweets and his Twitter threads and combined it into a book slash interview. So it's not hmm. it's not your traditional novel type book. It's like this Q&A. point, little lesson. Yeah, a little bit of Q and A. Um so it's it's a really cool read. Tim Ferriss is a genius. Yeah. That guy <laughs> that guy, speaking of perceptions and, and how he views the world, that guy has something figured out. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And we're I still agree. working to get there. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Jack, do you do you live like downtown in Atlanta? Yeah, I live like midtown. Um Sweet. Yeah, so there's like midtown and downtown. Uh downtown's kind of um George Aquarium, World of Coke, uh CNN right. Center, um um Millennium not Millennium Park, um Olympic Park where the Olympics were in ninety six. Um and then Midtown is like we're just north of it. There's like one little bridge that separates us, but it's also the city. I would say it's a little more housing, like a lot of uh, high rise apartment complexes, um, and some and some corporate giant buildings as well. Gotcha. Yeah, I think you know if you're if you're I have the the you know the ability to work from home. You know, I, it seems like you know exploring would be something really cool to kind of start doing every day. You know, like you know going for a walk and seeing like, huh, what's this place? I wonder. You know, you know who? You know, you go into a, a you know a small store, you get into a bakery, you start going to that bakery, then you ask the question to the guy like, hey, like how long have you owned this place? You know? And then you yeah. can, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, I think that's the best part about living in a city is, is being able to explore and, you know, uh, and learn about the, the history of the, of the places around you and stuff. So, yeah. What I love is that everything for me is walkable. Everything. Right. Like any appointments I have, I can walk there. Uh, I got my haircut yesterday. I walked to the barbershop. Uh, so like, and it's just kind of cool that if I have to go somewhere, I just get to like walk outside and go on a little journey. Like, and now appointments are little, are like mini journeys, which I've, that's probably my favorite part about living in the city. Um, there is the totally. safety aspect. I definitely, you know, I, I can explore, but I can only explore so much and I should right. not explore late at night. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You can handle yourself, Jack. <laughs> I, uh, I, I can understand. I mean, I live in downtown Charleston. I mean, Charleston's not as big of a city as Atlanta, but I, I understand, yeah, no, man. Totally. Like, in, the, you know, like there's a, there's a little neighborhood bar that's literally a block that like, you know, down the road and it's like in an old house. And, you know, if I want to go hang out, you know, I can just go there and, you know, there's a patio and it looks like somebody's back porch and just hang out, you know? Like I don't have to, you know, drive somewhere or anything. Or same thing. I've gotten my haircut walking down the street, you know, to to yeah. the barbershop and getting my hair. Like, you know, things like that are just so. Because we come from Charlotte, where it's this kind of, <laughs> for me, uh, mm-hmm. suburban Charlotte is a bit of a dystopia. <laughs> yeah, Char- Charlotte I mean, is a. This- nice city like when you venture out and you're like oh wow not a lot of cities are built like this yeah yeah well i mean charlotte is very nice like you know there's certain parts of it that are amazing but when you get into you know the endless you know housing uh you you have to drive everywhere you can't walk to anything i mean nothing. i I couldn't (laughs) walk to a single thing 
back home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't, you miss that side of, you know, exploring and walking around. You know, at least in nature, you can, you know, go to a trail or go, you know what I mean? Like you can go walk around, you know, your, your area and go walk into nature. In the city, you can, you know, walk somewhere else. But when you're stuck in, you know, suburbia, whew, that, that to me is just... I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I want to be one or the other. <laughs> I almost wonder way. if I will eventually like it because just people change. Like I'm designed for city life right now. I right. can see myself getting sick of this in five years. Sure. Yeah. You know, like, sure. You, you know, it's like sometimes like, okay, I need my own little world to a degree. I could see, I, I don't need that right now. I could see myself getting there eventually. Yeah. I yeah. don't know though. I, I'm for sure. I, I'm very much like, all right, I either want to be in where everything's happening or just like where nothing's happening. Like, yeah, same, same. <laughs> I'm the same way. Like, I yeah. can't, I can't shoot a whatever, a gun and hit someone for 50 miles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. I'm with I, you. I, okay. That I do agree with too. I think it's either in the mix of everything or isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. With, you, with your family slash squad slash people. Right. In, in isolation together it'd be cool to have like a uh almost like a 20 acre property and just have a a 10 bedroom house out there and just get all the it's kind of like I, I so my parents have a place down in, in charleston and we'd always go down oh, there nice. and um it that's that's one of my favorite places in the world because it's out on a just middle not i wouldn't say necessarily middle of nowhere but there's very few people around um, yeah, it's just you. Where, where is it? Um, Wadmaw Island, so south of John's Island. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's beautiful down there. Yeah, I know. I hope it stays a little gym for long, <laughs> long time. Yeah. You know, every every. Yeah, we'll see. I hope it does too. I I don't think Charleston will change much though, because Charleston's such a historic city that or yeah. town that i mean one it takes a shitload of time in order to get anything done development wise out there just because of the historic society and right. it's just it's just doesn't have the land infrastructure to be a something like charlotte or definitely not atlanta so i think it, right. it'll yeah. maintain its little charm i don't think well, it'll turn so into that but i do think the population will continue to rise Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's skyrocketing, but it's spreading out because, you know, we don't, the city goes through and the inhabitants in it are very conscious of what's being built and what's going on to the city. Like people are, you know, when the, the mayor was being elected, I mean, it was like, you would have thought it was the presidential election. Wow. I mean, oh yeah. Like, like city government is huge here. Um, people, you know, within the, the, the government will listen to people, you know, like people can sign petitions and, and there's a lot of boards and different things. Like I think in a lot of cities, if, you know, the city council has a little meeting, you know, like, and they, you know, our town hall or whatever, you know, a few people will show up. Some people aren't, no, like people, like people go in droves. If people are mad about something, you know, like there's, there's a, the union peer thing that just recently happened. Um, where, uh, you know, there's, there's this massive parking lot with a lot of BMWs and, you know, people in the city have been complaining about it for so long. Like, Hey, this is all this space. 
you know, um, you know, this could be used for, you know, maybe a park or for, you know, affordable housing and all these other things. Like this is just ridiculous that there's this massive parking lot taking up a third of downtown, you know? And so people, you know, the city's listened. And so they've decided that they're going to take that area back and they're going to, you know, do something with it. And they hired this, you know, group from LA to come in and design what they wanted and everything. And, you know, the residents of, of Charleston looked at it and were like, this is dog shit. You know, we, we do not accept this. This is not, you know, we, we do, this is not okay for me. Get out. Um, yeah. And they, and they, they had a massive uproar and they basically told that company to go back to the drawing board and then they lost the whole contract in, in, in the end, you know? So people are very, very conscious about what goes on in the city. And, um, uh, the a part of living here is accepting that culture of of the the, his, the history and um, quality and kind of just uh, the little nitty gritty cultural things. Um, they're taken very very seriously here, um, which I love. Yeah, so that's awesome. That is really cool. I wouldn't know where to start in Atlanta for any of our city politics <laughs> at all. <laughs> I don't even, I mean, I've, it's downtown, but like I couldn't walk to city council right now or like drive to it without a map. I have, would have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people take it seriously. So, um, which is so refreshing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's there. National politics, national politics, national politics, you know, who's, Who's going to the Senate? Who's going to the, you know, the presidency and all this other stuff? And it's like the the things that happen around you are so much more important. Yeah, that's daily so life true. Than like, anything. And so. Yeah, your local politic, you're on the local level. Politics will affect your li- daily life more than anything. Absolutely. At least to a degree. Um, all right. So. Um, dude, tell us about your job that you just got slash are starting. Oh, okay. Um, so I've been working like three to four days a week, um, in between like classes and other things, um, on, uh, re, uh, restoring antique furniture. Um, so recently we just, uh, worked on a, um, probably close to priceless mirror, that um, was George II, uh, hand-carved, gilded um, uh, piece that a painter took off the wall and dropped. And so this very fragile 250-year-old mirror broke in half. And so we had to, you know, go back and, uh, you know, glue everything correctly, put filler in places, but you don't want to do too much, you know, because you don't want to, uh, jeopardize the integrity of the piece, you know, regild everything, 24 karat gold, and then, um, antique it and all the rest of it. So there's, there's that. Um, I, uh, have been doing a lot of finishing work in this, uh, it's called French polishing, which is taking a shellac, which is a, as basically the traditional way that the English did it. I don't know why it's called French polishing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it's, a um, it's a byproduct of like a beetle from India and it's so a, it's like, a natural like a beetle finish. As in the car beetle. Or? No, 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 no. Like a beetle, like a, like a bug. A bug oh. Patrick. 
a byproduct of a bug. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So uh, from India. So it it's like a, a little decorative piece. No, no. So it's a, it's a coating on this on a, like a finish on on metal. I mean, not metal. Uh, on wood. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so I, it, I don't know these answers either. I'm sorry, just giving Patrick I, I, shit. I, I, I <laughs> well, I'm just like, I'm curious. Like I mean that no, I, that no, seems like really cool. so niche. I, I I mean I wouldn't have anywhere <laughs> to start, but I mean these are the the type of things that I find fascinating. Like I I wouldn't even know I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> so like how do you mm-hmm. how do you take that or who teaches you that or introduce you like oh i saw this beetle thing from india and that's what we need to use in order to do this finishing work dude i don't know i don't know (laughs) you might not know how to milk a cow and drink it you know what i mean like who thought that was a good idea you know what i mean yeah Uh, i don't know who let who let goat you know milk you know ferment and decided like ooh cheese yummy you know what i mean like True. I don't know. Well, no. well, it's more like <laughs> how did you or, or what mentor taught you like this is what we have to do to that? Or is that something is that something you guys learn in school or is it more like you just you have to if you want to know, you got to go and do that. So it's it's mixed with both um, mm-hmm. at my school. You know, it's it's a liberal arts college, so um, it's not you know there's a, it's not just trade work. I mean, I'm, I've taken material science class. I've taken two material science classes. Um, I've taken a lot of design. I've taken you know philosophy and craft. I've taken um, preservation and preservation law and different things. Like I, there, I mean, there's a whole list of um, of uh, uh, classes that you have to take at this school where you learn all kinds of things. Um, and one of the things is, you know, different kinds of finishes on, on, uh, your wood on wood, you know, there's different kinds of varnishes and synthetic and natural, uh, water-based oil-based different kinds of things that, um, you'll have to deal with, with whether, you know, some things are toxic, some things are not, you know, what to, you know, when you should be wearing a respirator, when you, you know the proper PPE for certain things, you know, um, so you know that's a small side of you know the vast majority of the um, the material science that we learned. Um, so there's so there's a side of that, you know. I mean, as you know, working with wood, working with uh, steel, working with um, you know clay and whatever else, um, you learn all different kinds of jargon for you know various finishes and um things like that just you know um but yeah so uh, you know i also you know i took architectural history you know so kind of have to understand you know what styles were from different eras of history and things like that um so i got a little bit of that you know i I had a, a, a decent you know platform to stand on but um, the guy that I'm uh, working for, he's retired, but he used to have a massive shop in downtown Charleston on King Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, he employed probably 20 guys. Um, and uh, he did a lot of work for like the Nathaniel Russell House, um, which if you don't know, is a big historic mansion museum um, that has a lot of like really cool furniture in it. And so he did a lot of like period correct restoration um, mm, cool. for the pieces in there. 
um, and he learned from in uh, Manhattan. Um, so he worked for a few different shops that were um, very prestigious for antiques, um, you know, restoring antiques and then selling antiques because there's a massive market just like art and, you know, whatever else things appreciate and appreciate in value. Um, and so there's a, that whole world. And so he's he has been in that world, you know, since he was my age, you know, and he's you know, 70 now. Wow. Um, wow. That's so, yeah, so he's, you know. He's a master, you know, and I, I, I get to go in there and learn a little bit of a little bit of stuff from him and help him out. And so, yeah, that's awesome. So looking now down the road, five, 10 years, where where do you want to take this? Specifically, the, the woodworking, the antique stuff that the metalworking um what's kind of that thing that goal for you that's like i can this is my dream kind of thing um well the correct answer is i have no fucking clue (laughs) (laughs) that's a good Um, answer that's a great answer i have ideas and you know different dreams you know you know sometimes you go to sleep and wake up you're like oh that's a that that'd be cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I think a lot of things that I'm focused on right now is setting myself up for the future, you know. So say if an opportunity comes along, I can have I have the ability to take that risk and say, all right, let's go for it, you know. Um, yeah, totally. So there's that, uh, but I would say you know the general plan is really focusing in on the whole forging and artistic side of things. Um, uh, specifically metal, you know, kind of have an understanding of other things. Like I wanted to know how to, you know, do basic wood stuff, you know, basic clay and stone and all the rest of it. You know, I want to want electrical, all that kind of thing, you know, get a, get a basic understanding of, of, um, a lot of different trades. Um, but, uh, really hone in my skills with, uh, forging and, uh, design and, and art, um, sculpture and, uh, yeah, so really focus on that and go that direction. Um, I think a lot of people in other countries, uh, especially in Europe, when it comes to these kind of high skilled trades, um, they, uh, they do like the whole apprenticeship program. So they'll do like 10 years of working under a master before they, you know, they, then they go out on, or maybe not 10 years, but maybe like, probably like, I think it's like four years four or five, it depends on the country. Um, but they do a a certain amount of time with the master, you know, working under them. And then when they get to a certain skill level, they'll become a journeyman and then they'll go and work for various shops, kind of traveling, you know, somebody's got this job, they hear about it, they go and work and do, do a job. And then when that job's finished, they go to the next place and then they learn from a lot of different places, traveling, um, and gain a lot of knowledge. And then when they've they feel like they've learned enough, you know, of how other people run their business. They'll find a spot that doesn't have any work or needs work or somebody's retiring and they'll take, you know, buy the business from them and start their own business. And when they've done that enough, they start hiring employees themselves. And, you know, so there's that whole track. I mean, people have been doing that for, you know, hundreds of years, if not a thousand years, you know, in Europe. Um, so, there's that side that I, you know, maybe do 
somewhat of an American version of that. You know, I'm going to college, which I guess would be my apprenticeship side of things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, hopefully work for some, some good shops and um, take a chance, start my own business and, you know, do it for myself and maybe hire some people in the future. I don't know. That's, that's you know, long term. But I'm keeping totally. it vague, you know. To be yeah, so. absolutely. I think that's the right way to go for it. Completely. Um, I'm excited. Um, should we let's start? Let's start wrapping up. Yeah. Um, so real quickly, Vaughn, tell us about your Instagram account, um, Vaughn.Forge, I saw recently. Um, what are you doing over there? Uh, just basic uh, process photos, you know, uh, kind of using it is a bit of a, a portfolio, you know, so you yeah. can kind of come back on. I try to post, you know, videos of interesting things I may be doing. Some people might see it as just a, a goofball whacking on some metal and other people might, you know, <laughs> learn stuff from it. Who knows? Um, but I thought uh, it was awesome. I think anyone listening to the podcast should go check some of it out because you're doing some really cool stuff. Um, Thank you it's one much. thing to talk about it, but to actually see it, you're like, oh, like you're actually, you're making shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's wagging I've on metal. A, uh, <laughs> I've got a table in the works that I'm uh, pretty excited about. Um, it's taken me, you know, on and off, you know, working on it in my spare time, uh, almost a year now, you know, with, Holy you God. know, design and, and you know, uh, different pieces. I've got 24 dragons that are all, uh, forged out into tapers that are doing this whole thing. It's a big coffee table, but it's going to be ridiculously heavy, uh, not <laughs> practical. It's kind like of more it. of a sculpture than anything. Um, but Holy each, crap. uh, head is fire welded and has a different face and I'm, you know, all That's carved so out cool. hand carved, um, uh, no electric welding, really. Um, all traditional uh, forging techniques. So um, hopefully, I can get that done pretty soon. I'm wrapping it up. I've been posting a little bit about it, but not too much. Um, I don't want to like, you know, a big reveal. It, yeah, Dude, let, it let, sounds let, sick. It sounds <laughs> I mean, really cool. A dragon table, <laughs> and they're yeah, each custom. So. That's sick. Yeah, each one's got a little personality to it. So. That's awesome. I can't wait to see that. You'll have to keep us updated on that. That's super cool. That would be really cool. I'm excited. Yeah. Follow, follow Vaughn.Forge if you're, if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, do you have one message to kind of leave everyone with or wrap everything up, kind of encompassing? Whatever you know. say next defines you, Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no pressure. I would say that, you know, for me, Finding blacksmithing was taking two common themes that I've done in my entire life. I've done sports and worked out and have been very physical since I was a young child, starting with gymnastics and going through, you know, football at, at Charlotte Catholic, you know, and and helping along with, you know, obviously great talent um, and a great team, you know, win two state championships and the discipline of um, that physicality. You know, mixed with the art that I've also done my entire life, you know, being uh, scratching that creative itch and and um, pushing myself create creatively, you know, mixing those two and then working really hard at it has um, been incredibly fulfilling uh, for me. So my message would be, you know, um, do some soul searching, figure out, you know, what if you're if you're struggling with, you know, what you want to do with your life. Do some soul searching, figure out, you know, what, 
what do you like doing? You know, what, what have you, what have you, um, what has been a common theme throughout your entire life? Figure out what that is, you know, and, um, figure out how you can apply that to the world around you and hopefully make some money at it and take a chance and go for it. Cause you know, the earlier you start, you know, the, the, the more time you have to get good at it and hopefully, you know, do well for yourself in life. You know, you, you can find it out at 40 or you can find it out now, you know, <laughs> or 50 or 60, you know? Um, so anyways, uh, that's, I guess that's my, my yeah. final thought. You know? Don't wait to start on something you it. always wanted to do. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, go for it. Just do it. Fuck around and find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You might yeah. If you want to know, you got to go. Oh, absolutely. I love it. Well, man, this is awesome. Uh, yeah, we have seriously. loved hearing this just story of from when we passed knew you and passed saw you and where you are now and the stuff you've learned and the stuff you're working on. So we're rooting for you and uh, we'll definitely keep following along with the journey. And I'm, I'm rooting for you guys too. I, I, I think, like I said, this whole podcast thing is incredibly inspiring and, and, you know, keep chasing your dreams, fellas. Oh, thanks, man. And thanks for coming on. It was so great to have you. It was super cool. I'm really excited for this to air. Um, we're gonna, yeah, let's close it out. Uh, everyone, cool. thank you so much for listening. Thank you for checking out Vaughn and hearing his story. Um, you can follow him on at Vaughn.forge on Instagram. If you guys want to kind of actually see the things that we've been talking about and what Vaughn's been working on. It's super cool. I'd highly recommend checking it out. Um, we'd also always love and appreciate any feedback from you guys. We're going to start doing more um, guest things like this. Vaughn is one of our first. You're our guinea pig, Vaughn, and you were a fantastic <laughs> one at that. Awesome. Um, awesome. And as right usual, behind Clayton. Yeah, we must give Clayton that's right, all Yeah, praise. that's true. That's true. Clayton all praise. <laughs> Clayton came in. He killed it. Oh, it was Clayton so is king. <laughs> um and yeah as usual um if you guys are enjoying the podcast feel free to give us a five-star rating on wherever you're listening from feel free to comment feel free to leave us suggestions feel free to share the podcast with other people if you think they'd enjoy it as well and seriously thank you guys so much for listening as always we love you to death and we'll see you next week peace bye